It is good to see all of you here this morning, this fine Lord's Day morning. I've really enjoyed the weather the past few days. It's been a whole lot warmer. I am ready for some warmth. I am tired of the cold. So, so glad to see all of you here. If you will, please open your copy of God's Word to Philippians chapter 2. This is where we will be this morning, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and we will be reading verses 1 through 11 of Philippians chapter 2. If you're there, please read along with me. Paul writes to the Philippian church saying, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Once again, let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father, we ask again for mercy, Lord. We ask that through your word you would open up our eyes and our hearts to see the Lord Jesus Christ, to see him, that he would be exalted in our hearts that we would give you the honor and glory that is due you. Father, I ask that you would use me in spite of me, that the words I speak would not be my words, but yours. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Ligonier, a ministry, a very good ministry, in 2020 did a survey in the U.S. and they published their findings. And you can find all their statements, you can find their survey, and all the information they gathered if you look up Ligonier, the state of theology. And they sent out this survey across the U.S., and the survey consisted of multiple statements, theological statements, and also statements pertaining to Scripture, uh, statements pertaining to the church. And the one taking the survey could either agree or disagree 
with the statements that were made in the survey. And to give it to you plainly, uh, to sum up the findings for you, the state of theology is not good. The state of theology in America alone is not good. But one of the statements that was made in the survey in which the results are quite shocking and very telling of the overall state of theology. The statement was about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll give you the statement, and then I'll give you the results. Here's the statement. The statement said, quote, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God, end quote. Now again, the one taking the survey could either agree with that statement or disagree with that statement. Of all... That took the survey. 52% agree with that statement. That Jesus was a great teacher, but that he was not God. Only 36% disagree. And out of all that 52% of those who profess to be evangelical Christians, 30 of those who profess to be Christians, believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but was not God. Only 66% disagree. So, of everyone that took the survey, over 50% believe that Jesus was just a good teacher, that he was not God. Folks, what you need to understand today is that if you get Jesus wrong, if we waver on the person of Jesus Christ and we don't have a firm foundation knowing who He is through and through, then you get so much more wrong about the gospel, about the word, about who God is, His character. If you get Jesus wrong, you get the gospel wrong. If you get Jesus wrong, then you're not saved. It is a matter of life and death, of heaven and hell. We must get Jesus right and acknowledge his proper place. And of all the passages that explain Christ, this passage in Philippians is the most detailed and expansive portion of Scripture that, expra- that explains excuse me, Christ's incarnation and his life. Another way pastors and theologians have described this passage is by calling this section of Scripture Christ's humiliation. Christ's humiliation. Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, becoming a man. It is really an unfathomable passage of Scripture because our minds are so small as to comprehend everything that is the person Christ, the God-man. So many other truths and doctrines, crucial doctrines, flow out of this passage. And as I've prayed over this passage, as I've meditated on this passage, there is truly no, no way to ever fully plumb the depths of everything that is in this portion of Scripture. It is imperative that we understand the incarnation, that we understand Christ's humiliation and his exaltation. It is key and foundational to the faith we hold. 
And that is the two things we'll look at this morning is Christ's humiliation and Christ's exaltation. However, to understand his humiliation, his incarnation, becoming a man, we need to go back and see where Jesus was, who he was before becoming the God-man. Before he was made low for a while, we need to know who he was before his incarnation. And the Gospel of John is perfect for that, right? We've been in there, so turn real quick over to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. John gives us a very clear picture of who Christ was for his incarnation. First Five, five verses read as such. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In the beginning... If you'll recall what Pastor Brian has taught us thus far in the book of John, that phrase in the beginning is the same phrase that is used in Genesis 1 when talking about creation. That is to say, before anything had come into being, the Word was with God and the Word was God. This is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has always been. He was in the beginning with God. And he always will be. He has always existed as a co-equal person in the Trinity. He is the uncreated one. He is the one in whom all things have been created through him. Nothing has been created except through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the universe as we know it. Jesus has always existed. This earth the universe, planets, everything has, was created through Him. And nothing was created without Him. As a co-equal person of the Trinity, He has always been. Never was Jesus created or been at a lower rank. This is the Lord Jesus Christ before His incarnation. He has always been. And after the fall in Genesis, God made a promise he would redeem his people and he would end up doing it through the Lord, ultimately through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. And in fact, before creation or the universe, as we know it ever came into being, it was predetermined that Jesus Christ would come to redeem his people. Not only was his coming predetermined, But it was also prophesied about. We find this all over the New Testament. Deuteronomy 18.15 tells us of the ultimate prophet that was to come, which ended up being the Lord Jesus. Or how about a familiar portion of Scripture? Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. Or Isaiah prophesied again in chapter 9 of Isaiah, verse 6, For a child will be born to us, 
A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called a Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So not only was it determined, predetermined, that the Word, who was God, and was always with God, would come, but it was also prophesied that He would come. And it happened. God's predetermined plan, what was prophesied about, came to fruition. And this is the humility of the Lord Jesus. Turn back to Philippians chapter 2. And just to recap, the first four verses, Paul is exhorting the Philippian church to be of the same mind, to be unified. Yes, that's what we find in the first four verses, that we don't do anything for ourselves, but we do everything to serve others. Look at verses 5 through 7. He says, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. What attitude is that? Uh, Attitude of humility, humbleness, everything he said in the first four verses. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. What does all this mean? That Jesus was in the form of God? When you look at the original languages, Paul is addressing the character and the nature of Christ, therefore affirming who He has always been and always will be, that He is the uncreated One. That Jesus is uncreated. That He is the Creator. That Jesus is fully God, complete deity. And although Paul says that Jesus is God, Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now remember, this is talking about the incarnation of Christ. Jesus becoming a man. Complete deity becoming Man, Jesus, Paul says, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now hear me, this is not to say that Jesus ceased being God. This is not to say that the Lord Jesus Christ gave up his deity. That is not the case at all. This does not mean that Jesus ceased being God. He never stopped being God. We know this to be true, right? Because of Jesus' earthly ministry, we find it all over the New Testament that Jesus claimed to be equal with God, that He claimed to be one with God. Turn to John chapter 5, if you will. Gospel of John, John chapter 5. After healing the man at the pool in Bethsaida, Jesus was questioned by the Jews, starting in verse 18. It says, For this reason, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, be- kill him, that is Jesus, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Therefore Jesus, 
Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of God can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all the judgment all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 24, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus here in this passage paints a picture of his oneness with the Father. Because he is God. He makes himself equal to God. Shows himself that equality. And shows how their nature, divine attributes and their prerogatives are the same. For John chapter 10, verses 24 through 30. Again, Jesus tells the Jews who he is. John chapter 10, verse 24 says the Jews gathered around him and they were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. I just think that's kind of funny. I don't know how much more plain Jesus could have been with everything he did on this earth. In verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Verse 30, I and the Father are one. Jesus was equal with God. He was never lower in rank. He wasn't created by God. He has always been and always will be. And what he did on this work testified that he was the Son of God, that he is equal with God. Time and time again, Jesus asserted himself to be one with God and proved it to be true. So when Paul says in Philippians that he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, it doesn't mean that Jesus did not become one with the Father. He was always one with the Father. It does not mean that Jesus unbecame God, that he took off some of his deity and threw it away. That is not what it means. But that when Jesus did come to this earth, he did not come holding on to everything that was divinely his by nature. Verse 7 tells us that he emptied himself. What exactly did Jesus Christ empty himself of then? What did Jesus set aside? A few things. He set aside his glory and throne. He clothed his glory in human flesh. Yes, he became a man. You could touch him. You could see him. He spoke as we spoke. Clothed himself 
clothed his glory in human flesh, becoming a man. He did not give up his deity, not an ounce or an inkling of his deity. He simply added to his deity a humanity, a full humanity. He was not God, not half God, not half man. He was fully God and fully man. That's 200%, 100% God, 100% man. Because he was man, he felt what we felt. He felt pain. He often was tired. He felt lonely at times. He had gone hungry. Hebrews 4.15, the writer tells us that he was tempted in every way. You and I have been tempted, but yet never sinned. He left heaven, set aside for a time his face-to-face relationship with God. Although his relationship with God on this earth was perfect in every way, and was never tainted by sin, he was completely one with God. He, for his time on earth, was not face-to-face with God the Father. He also set aside his divine will and only did what the father had him do he tells us that matthew twenty twenty eight. jesus tells us that he did not come to be served right but to serve and give his life a ransom for many this is what jesus came to do the angel tells us in matthew one he came to save sinners came to came to save his people from their sin And just a little side note, Jesus was the exact opposite of what the Jews wanted, right? Or what the Jews were expecting. In a worldly sense, the Jews were expecting a powerful, rich, triumphant king that would come and overthrow the government and free them. That was not what they got. The king that came, came humbly, yes, Jesus was not born in a royal palace. Jesus didn't come and gather an army to overthrow the government. Jesus was born in a manger. Most likely a trough that the animals would eat out of, in a cave or a den. Born into a family that wasn't of high prominence or wealth. He was the son of a carpenter. A lot of times Jesus slept in the open country, because he had no home. Complete opposite of what the Jews were thinking, what the Jews wanted. So Jesus was not only humiliated in what he gave up in heaven to come to earth, or how he came by being born in a manger, in a low family, by his humble means, but he also humbly set aside his will to do the will of Of the Father, John chapter 14. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you want. John chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. Jesus is talking again about his oneness with the Father. And says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I 
am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the words, but the Father abiding in me does his works. The Father was in Christ. Christ was in the Father. He did the works of his Father. Or John chapter 6, verses 38 through 40. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given to me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Jesus came to be obedient to God the Father, even, Paul says in Philippians, to the point of death. Death on a cross, to give his life as a ransom for many to save his people from their sins. I love what Paul says there. That he became obedient to the point of death, comma, death on a cross. It wasn't just a regular death. Jesus didn't live a full life perfectly and then die peacefully in his sleep. He endured the most humiliating death, which was death on a cross. Again, this was all predetermined by God the Father. Acts 2, when Peter is preaching his sermon at Pentecost, says in verses 22 through 24 of Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching his sermon at the Pentecost says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, amen, attested to you by God with miracles and wonders, And signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death since it was possible for him to be held. Since it was impossible, excuse me, for him to be held in its power. It was predetermined that Christ would come and die to save his people from their sins. This was all according to the foreknowledge and plan of God. It was also prophesied about in Isaiah. In fact, if you will, please turn there to Isaiah chapter 52. An incredible, immense portion of scripture. Isaiah Chapter 52 was prophesied about in great detail. Very huge portion of scripture in regards to all its implications and content. This is the prophecy of Christ. What would happen to him? What would come to pass? Starting in Isaiah 52 verse 13 says, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were astonished at you, my people. So his appearance was marred more than any man and his form, more than the sons of man. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. 
For what has not been told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Now we go into chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot in the root out of the parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows with acquainted and acquainted with grief. And like one from men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Verse 4, surely our griefs he himself bore. And our sorrows he carried, yet ourselves deceived him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. This is all about Christ. Continue with me into verse 8. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will, sing his, see, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, just, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Verse 12, Therefore I will allot to him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So this is all about the prophecy of Christ, him coming and his death for us. Incredible. An explicit detail in which Christ fulfilled. So all of this, everything we have looked at is the humility of Christ that Jesus for a time set aside so much being made into a bondservant, a slave, coming to this earth in a humble fashion, a humiliating way. To borrow the words from the writer of Hebrews chapter view, chapter 2, excuse me, Jesus was even made lower than the angels for a time being made in the likeness of men, feeling everything we have felt, being tempted in every way you and I have been tempted, yet never sinned. He would eventually die the most excruciating death after fulfilling all righteousness for the sins of everyone who would ever believe in Him. Christ was humble to the point of His death. Physical punishment. He was beaten Mocked, scourged, spit in the face, had a crown of thorns driven into his head. 
be and beyond recognition, and yet remained so humble to the point as to pray to God, asking Him to forgive them because they don't even know the horrendous acts that they were doing it to. This is the humility of Christ. And that is the most humiliating part of it all, that Christ was obedient to the point of death on the cross, where He not only suffered physical punishment, like no other person has, but He became sin on our behalf, taking on the sin, as Isaiah said, became an intercessor for us. He was forsaken, cut off from God, having eternities of God's wrath poured out on Him. As we read in Isaiah, God was pleased to crush Him. He was pleased to pour out His wrath on His Son. The wrath that should have been ours, Christ took. Bearing the sins of many, He interceded for us. And He still intercedes for us today. This is the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Came to this earth 100% God, 100% man to save His people from their sins. This is why we must get Jesus Christ right. This is why we must get His humiliation, His humility right, His incarnation right. Because if we get Him wrong, then we get so many other doctrines wrong. Listen to me. If Jesus wasn't fully God, then He wouldn't have been able to be perfect in every way, living the life we should have lived perfect. He wouldn't have been able to be perfect in His humanity, never sinning. He wouldn't have been able to suffer the eternities of wrath that was poured out on Him by God, taking on the punishment we deserved. If Jesus wasn't fully human, then He wouldn't have been able to be tempted in every way you and I were, yet never sin. That's why He had to be fully God and fully man. He wouldn't have been able to feel everything we have felt and yet fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. It is truly incomprehensible that God, the God of the universe, through whom everything was made, came down and took on human flesh and dwelt among us in order to save many. Truly God and truly man. Have any of you fully reconciled and understood everything that is Jesus Christ, the God-man? I haven't. It's an incredible truth. This is why we must get Jesus Christ right and believe by faith who He says He is because if we get Jesus wrong, we get everything else wrong. We get our justification wrong. Then we get salvation wrong, which means no salvation. That is why we must get Jesus Christ right, His humiliation right. How incredible that the humiliation of Christ was predetermined, prophesied, and came to pass. Christ's humiliation is what seals our redemption. Because Christ was humiliated by living the perfect life we should have lived in human form, we have life so abundant and free. 
because Christ was humiliated by leaving his throne, we will one day get to bow our knees before the throne and give him glory forever. Because of Jesus Christ's humility and becoming sin on our behalf, we no longer are slaves to sin, but we are free in Christ. Amen. This is the humble attitude that was in Christ. He wasn't holding on to everything. He willingly set some things aside and came down to fulfill the law so he could save many. This is so humble. This is so humiliating that the God of the universe did this for us. And this humble attitude is the attitude that Paul exhorts us to have have this attitude which was also in Christ Jesus. We ought to be as humble to not hold on to anything in this life, but to follow Christ wherever he leads, giving ourselves over to the church. And we should be happily obedient to do that. You know why? You know why we should have this humble attitude? You want to know why? Because no one on the face of this planet has ever suffered more humiliatingly than the Lord Jesus Christ. So until you suffer the level he has, stop complaining about your circumstances. Be thankful for what Christ has done for you. Incredible. The God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, Take everything that comes your way humbly and thankfully and submit to him. Imitate the humble attitude Christ had. He didn't have to do it, but he did it because he loves you, because he loves his own. How selfish are we to think that church is about us, to think that your life is about you, do I need to remind you of Philippians 1.21 to, for to me to live as Christ, to die as gain? Once you're in Christ, your life is not about you. Your life is about the glory of Christ. He was humiliated for you. Therefore, you don't live for yourself. You live for him. When you realize the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ, every problem you may have or trial you might be going through, though it may be great, shrinks and grows very faint and dim in the light of the glory of Christ. Grows very faint in comparison to how humiliated our suffer, our Savior has been to how much he suffered. This is the humble attitude. Should we possess it? It should cause us to walk humbly, loving one another, not selfish, but selfless, looking out for one another. This is the humility of Christ. This is the attitude, and we are to possess it. This is the humiliation of Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then comes Christ's exaltation. Look at verse 9 of Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, For this reason also God highly exalted him. 
and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of Christ's obedience, because of Christ's humiliation, God has bestowed on him the name that is above all names, that is Lord, sovereign king, ruler over all. Jesus is king, and he is coming again soon. Although everyone will not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior, everyone one day will acknowledge him as Lord. Have you come and submitted to him as your Lord and Savior? If you submit to him now as Lord, you will joyfully sing his praises for eternity before his throne in heaven, acknowledging him as Lord. But if you do not come and to submit to him as Lord now on earth, you will painfully acknowledge Christ as Lord from hell for eternity. But if you want to come to Christ, you can. It is because of Christ's humiliation and exaltation, people, that we can sing it is well with our souls. It is because of Christ's obedience that we can sing in Christ alone our hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath. It is Jesus who commands my destiny. It is because of Christ's humiliation and exaltation that we can sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. It is because of Christ's humiliation and exaltation that we can sing, crown him with many crowns. Oh, the glory and majesty, unfathomable riches of Christ's humiliation and exaltation. Let us give thanks to God for all of this, all of Christ's humiliation and his exaltation, and may we live with the same humble attitude Christ had. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are in such awe of your word. Father, it truly is incomprehensible, all the truth that is contained in it. But I ask that you would grow us. God, we thank you for Christ, that he was humiliated and giving up so much to come and dwell among us, feeling everything we have felt, being fully human yet without sin, yet fully God, he could be the righteous fulfillment and take on the wrath that we deserved. Father, may that move us to be the church that we're supposed to be. Father, we thank you that he is Lord over all and that he is coming again soon for his bride. Father, we ask that you would come soon and that those that don't know you here would acknowledge you now as Lord so that they can praise you forever and eternity. All to the glory and praise of your name we pray. Amen.